good, good. How's everybody New Year? New, how is everybody's New Year so far? My brain is going faster than my mouth these days. Good, good. Uh, I appreciated some time off, and uh, it was nice to get reacquainted with my back porch. <laughs> you ever have it where there's a part of your house you haven't been to in months because you've just been so busy? And so uh, it was great to have some porch time, although it's cold, but you know what? I'll take cold. After last summer, I'll take cold for a while. Uh, but it was uh, really great to get some porch time. Uh, we have uh, a cat, a little kitten. I told this uh, to some folks here, so they already know the punchline. But we, we have a little kitten that adopted us. It's the second kitten that is it. Bakersfield has cats, right? I mean, that's one thing I really realized about this town. There's lots of cats everywhere. So we have a little kitten that has adopted us in our, uh, it's adopted us, lives in our backyard now. And we have kind of a mutual relationship, right? That cat clears out all the mice and the geckos, right? And we give it just enough food to live because, after all, it's feeding on all the mice and geckos, right? You know, so we, we you know, if it's hungry, I feed it, whatever, you know. But the cat and I, were, we weren't at, like, the friendly stage yet. It was still kind of the standoff stage. It would kind of look at me. I would look at it, you know. Well, the other day I was on my porch, and now the cat is getting real friendly, you know, wants to sit in my lap, wants to purr. Wants to, I'm thinking, ah, I made a friend, right? You could never have too many friends in this life, right? So I, I made a friend, you know. So the other day, I'm sitting in my chair, and you, you know how cats got a certain trot when they're happy? You know, doop, 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 doop. So the cat does a little trot, you know, coming up to, the, to where I was sitting. And as it gets closer, I'm like, something looks weird. And all of a sudden, I see it's got a tail hanging out of its mouth. And I know from Carmen and other friends of mine, cats love to bring presents, right? You know? So what does this cat do? Plops that sucker right at my feet, you know? Well, my kids, my wife, they're not so into mice. Actually, I'm not really into mice either. So I got a shovel, and I know what to do with dead animals, you know, throw it over my neighbor's fence. <laughs> I'm sure, sure, especially if I could hit his pool, it's like 10 points. <laughs> and so... So I, you know, the, the, you know the, so the cat kind of backs up, you know, like it gave me a present, you know, it backs up and it's kind of crouching. And, and so I, I, I stand up to go get the shovel to throw it into my neighbor's yard. No, I'm just kidding. I throw it into a field. And as soon as I stood up, the mouse, like mice play dead, you know, all of a sudden the mouse starts taking off. I was so freaked out. I went, ah, <laughs> and I fell back into my chair. The cat runs off because I scared the cat. The mouse runs off because I scared the mouse. Now I've got a real problem. <laughs> the mouse runs off into the direction of the garage. Oh! So what did I do? <laughs> I went and got the cat. <laughs> Far better at getting mice than I am, you know. And the thing actually let me pick it up, and I put it right, right near the garage. I said, you just stay here. It'll eventually come out because we'll keep food in our garage. You stay here. And I don't know, it's gotten probably five or six mice since then. But that was what happened to me on my time off. So thank you very much for that vacation. We are starting. What? Nothing spiritual about that. No, no, no. Just, just a freak out session. We're starting a new series. If we could put our slide up called Flip the Script. Flip the Script. Lies we believe and the truth that sets us free. And we're going to be going through some psalms. Those are Old Testament songs, worship songs, uh, that was set to music. Uh, 
And so we've long lost the music, but we still have the lyrics. And so we're going to be going through some of those. Today, we're going to be going through the, one of the famous songs, actually today and possibly next week, uh, Psalm 23. And so uh, <clears throat> if you want to turn in your Bible there. But uh, part of what uh, really the genesis of this came from a podcast that I heard and a sermon that I heard and some uh, books I read from a pastor by the name of Louis Giglio out of uh, Atlanta. And he, I want to share just a snippet with you because as much as I could put this into my own experience, I think the way he wrote it, so many of us will identify uh, the, the feeling of what I'm trying to open with here by what he wrote. So I'll just kind of, I kind of paraphrased it from what he wrote and you combined it, made it shorter. So he said this, I felt attacked, abandoned, and wounded. Darts seemed to be coming from everywhere toward me, and doubts seemed to be flying out of everywhere from within me. I was wondering if the hard way was always the right way. I was wondering if the nice way was always the right way. I'm so sick of backing down. I'm so sick of having to be the bigger person. Our honest, it's left me with nothing with depression and a slew of people who I feel truly misunderstand me. They say that time will eventually tell your story. But that's just what they say. I'm afraid I cannot wait for time to vindicate me this time. I am right, I am right, I am right, and I know it. And for once, the whole world is going to know it. How to proceed. How to proceed. Well, first, I'm going to post to Facebook. I won't use names, but everybody will know who I'm talking about. I'll gather a whole bunch of likes, I'll gather a whole bunch of comments, and everybody will be supporting me and affirming that I am right because I am right. And then I'll post memes to Instagram and Snapchat, sort of reinforcing my side of the story. And then finally, I will send the much long deliberated text message to another leader in the church, hopefully securing his support for his pastor. I start typing. Oh, I better change that word. Oh, I better rewrite that sentence. Oh, man, the way, the way that text sounds, it just makes me sound bad. It makes me look like the villain. I better change this text, choose a dis different approach. All of a sudden, a 40-word text has taken me an hour to type as I'm crafting it just perfect. Finally, I have the perfect message with the blend of slander and sympathy that I wanted to have. So I push send. Now the worst part comes. I wait. And I wait. And I wait some more. Constantly checking my phone. Hoping I hear that ding. Hoping that I begin to see those three little dots. You know, I'm talking about the three little dots in the string. And, you, you know, hopefully I'm going to be able to see that. And I'm waiting some more. What will this guy who has been in my corner and always had my back going to say? I wait some more. Wait a minute. Should I have sent that last text? 
he could always take that text and forward it to this guy. Maybe I shouldn't have put it in writing. Oh my goodness, did I do the same? Oh my goodness, did I do the right thing? What am I doing? And then three dots appear. Oh, he's typing. I'm about to get a response. What's he going to say? It took me about an hour to write 40 words. I bet you he's going to take his time and craft a really sympathetic response. And then, bing, one sentence. One sentence. It took me an hour to put together this beautiful soliloquy, and you're just going to give me one sentence? What are you thinking? It took almost an hour. And he responds with nine words. And what did he say? Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And in that moment, nothing more needed to be sent and nothing more needed to be said. I had realized what I had done. I had realized how I had caved once again in my right fights, needing to be right, needing to be vindicated, and taking control of the narrative. And in that nine-word text, my friend both reminded me of what I was doing and also reminded me how to be healed from it. Don't give the enemy a seat at the table. You ever done anything like that? You ever had a situation where you fire off an email or you fire off a text, or maybe you leave a voicemail, you post something on Facebook, you post something on Instagram or Snapchat, or you do a Twitch video or something like that, and, and you know you are trying to stick it to someone, or you're trying to, 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 to heal some sort of pain, and then all of a sudden it's out there, and you're not quite sure what the world is going to do with it. But what you really want them to do with it is come and support you and affirm you and so that you can be made right and our enemies are made wrong. It's a very human thing. It's a very common thing to want to do. But the problem is this. Personal conflict often attacks our patience. Right? God has said he will vindicate us. God has said he will fight our battles. The only problem is God has not said when he will vindicate us. God has not said when he will fight the battles. And so what often happens is the battle we lose is not so much the battle of our morality so much as it is the battle of our patience. We get impatient. We want the war to end now. We want the battle to be over now. We want the conflict to be over now. And so what do we do? We give in to that paranoia. We give in to those things that you, you should just do this, you should do that. We give in to all of those. And then after we've done them, we wonder, oh, was that the right thing to do? Unresolved past wounds often end up in a private conversation that we can have with ourselves for years. Somebody wounds you, something happens, you could be a kid, you could be a teenager, you could be in college, it could be from a first spouse, it could be from almost a myriad of people in ways. And it's a trauma that you cannot see, you cannot put your finger on, but it is still talking to you. And you may say, how is it talking to me? In my self-talk, in my thoughts. Oh, you better not step out and do that, you're just a loser. 
Oh, you're not the kind of person that's going to do that. God's not going to use you in this way. You'll never overcome that. People really see you this way. You know, you're just a control freak. That's what everybody tells you. And all of a sudden, that private conversation begins taking over. I often tell people, who you think you are is not who the rest of the world sees you. You may be far better or <laughs> you may be far worse. Often we are far worse than we think we are, you know. Uh, I used to think that I was very organized, very meticulous, very put together. If my wife has not told me something over 22 years, I am scattered. I am an array of chaos walking around me. And when she used to say that, I used to think, God, one of these days you'll heal her of that. You know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't even know how to think. She doesn't know up from down from it. And now, 22 years of marriage later, I'm beginning to see she was right. And I'm thinking to myself, so in that scenario, and I'm going over my past, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, I didn't even know how I was coming off because of all the self-talk that was trying to take control of the narrative, giving in to dark thoughts where paranoia becomes our power. We begin to get extremely defensive. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. God isn't making you paranoid. Okay? God isn't, God isn't saying, thank you for freaking out. Yes, that's what I'm calling you to do. You need to freak out right now. This is my will. This is my plan for your life. Freak out. God's never said that. God's not calling us. When you find yourself in the middle of that, you've got to step back and say, you know what? This is not what God's called me to do. God never suggests thoughts of despair to take over your mind. Oh, you're doomed. It's all over. Just quit now. Thinks this can never get better. You're really up the creek, pal. God never says those kinds of things. We say those kinds of things to ourselves. God never says those kinds of things to us. God never said, you know what? I have a lot of great things to say. But every now and then, you really might want to take a lesson from the devil. Because, you know, he's got some really great things to say about this issue, too. God never says these things. Don't give the enemy a seat at the table. But part of our problem, and this is, and this is a very real one, when I, talk, when I use a word like the enemy and the devil, it brings up a lot of very mixed reactions even in church. And this is what I kind of scratch my head with. It's easy for us to believe in heaven, easy for us to believe in God, easy to believe in a creator, and to believe that we're all going to a better place. But once you do the flip side of that coin, it gets a little harder to believe. It's a harder to believe in a hell, harder to believe in a devil, harder to believe in a dark army that is attacking us, and they're invisible, and we don't even know it. And here's the thing. I would love to share a variety of opinions of what that might be. But at the end of the day, the book that is older than us, more powerful than us, and will be with us long after we're gone, the Bible, makes it very, very clear. There are invisible beings, angels and demons. There is a chief demon called Satan. And, and they are in rebellion against God. 
and the effects of that rebellion we feel here on earth. So when I say don't give the enemy a seat at the table, that's not just like some pithy line. There's some actual literal truth to that. Don't let the armies of darkness come and invade your self-talk where they began to steer you along the paths that God is not. Because where they're taking you is a place of despair and doom and destruction where God is taking us to a place of restoration, redemption, and overcoming. Amen? Well, if you turn to Psalm 23, I wanted to use a psalm that that Psalm 23 is like, this is a psalm we teach our four, four-year-olds, you know? This is a psalm we teach our, our you know, it's, it's kind of that fluffy, you know, nice Jesus and the Lamb, Jesus and the Good Shepherd psalm. But the fact of the matter is, this psalm is deep with meaning. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Read out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Survey said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Whoa, we're going to get to that in a moment. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? First of all, is this psalm mostly about what God is calling us to do for him or what he's going to do for us? The answer's on the screen. <laughs> this psalm is mostly about what God does for us when we join him at the table. Okay? Second of all, this psalm is very realistic that there are dark, deathy valleys and fiery trials, and that is all a part of, of life when we are sitting with God at the table. The third thing is, our enemies and the enemy aren't removed when we sit with God at the table. I know that's the great bummer of today. But the great bummer of today is God's not worried about that. God's not worried that temptation and darkness is lurking around while he has you at the table. Why? Because he knows that his power can defeat it every time, and he wants you to experience the joy of that defeat, that victory. And then finally, to receive anointing, goodness, and mercy at the table, we need to kick the devil out of the chair. We invite him there. We often say, hey, come on down, take a seat. And it kind of looks like this. I've prepared the table, right? Now, I'm going to ask Dan. Dan, can you come and be God? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We, <coughs> what are you talking about? You just spent three hours fixing my truck last night. To me, you are right next to God right now on the list of, you know, take a, we're, we're seated at the table, right? So. Go ahead and take a seat. All right. Now, I have to ask someone to be the devil. But because you're, oh, you want to be. All right, Alex, come on up. 
<laughs> Free donut. <laughs> no, actually, we're not going to give the devil any of our food. All right. So here is often what happens, okay? We're sitting at the table, and we're going through life, right? And, and God is saying things like the fruits of the Spirit, right? Go ahead and say a few of them. <laughs> Love. Yeah. And what's the devil saying? <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> Here is the point of Psalm 23. Alex, get out. Uh, uh, stay, 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 stay. Over here. <laughs> this is the step we need to take. Get out. And I wanted you to see it because sometimes, just sit right there, sometimes the enemy can speak to your closest friends. Mark. <laughs> he goes, yes. Oh, really? <laughs> Mark, you come on up here. Mark has been one of my closest friends for 12 years now. Knew me since I got here. And uh, we've shared many amazing moments together. What, why would I bring Mark here? Because sometimes the enemy will use some of your closest friends. You may say, no, not my friends. They're amazing. They would never betray me. They would never gossip about me. They would never criticize me behind my back. The fact of the matter is this. Who did Jesus say, get behind me, Satan? It was to Peter, one of his best and closest friends. Because the enemy will not, he, he doesn't just show up like Alex. Like, he's the literal Devereaux over here, okay? This is like a friend, all right? He doesn't just show up. If he showed up like that, none of us would listen to him, right? None of us would listen to him. He often shows up at a friend, in a friend. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to tell a friend, you need to leave the table. Mark, I love you. You're my brother. But you need to leave the table. You need to leave the table. Yes. See, does that make sense? That's part of, of, I think, how we achieve. And I think what the Lord's saying through the psalm we achieve victory, they're always going to be around. That's why I want them to sit here, okay? God and I, we're going to have a great conversation. We are going to share some donuts, you know? There's some really nice donuts here. Uh, I almost want to touch and lick them all so I can guarantee that I take this box home. But I won't do that. Uh, but there are some that I will say the smallest apple fritter I've ever seen in my life is in this box. But uh, that is pretty small, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, you're God, so you could snap it and, like, make it ten times bigger, right? No, that's not how it works. You know, turn these stones into bread? Yeah. <laughs> what I want you to do is I want you to imagine yourself in this chair. And I want you to be completely honest. Have you invited, whether it's the literal devil that's often found in our thoughts, or a friend who's often speaking, but they're not speaking the counsel of God. They're speaking their own wisdom or their own thoughts, which sometimes is good, 
but can very much be hijacked by the enemy if we're not careful. Put yourself there for a moment and ask yourself very honestly, have I given the enemy a seat at the table? Because my opening story about the text, that's all of us. We've probably all had one of those. I had one of those a doozy about ten and a half years ago. And I remember I crafted a text and I was ready to go ballistic. And somebody talked me off it. What they say? Talked you off the cliff or talked you off the shelf? Talked you down the mountain? Somebody talked me down the mountain and helped me to see I'd given the enemy a place at the table and I needed to kick him out. Amen? Amen. Can you give these guys a hand? You guys can go be seated. If you have your discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. Going to give you some quick take-home points, and then we're going to minister this together. Number one, take back the table. Take back the table. The table is under your control, not the devil's control. The table is under your control. Even God will not take over your table. That's what makes God awesome. If you want to think something, if you want to go a certain way, he'll let you. Take back the table. Take back the table. You don't have a choice because the enemy is going to be prowling around trying to fill us with anti-God thoughts. But you do have a choice as to whether or not you let the enemy sit down. If the enemy is at your table, let me tell you three things he is always going to say. Go ahead and put these up on the screen, Arnita. First, it'll always be God's not real. There's no God Oh, you just get so emotional in church, but that's not real. There's no miracles. There's no creation. We were formed from stardust. That stardust made amoeba. They grew up into a person. We don't know how, but that sounds a lot better than there was a God, a loving God who created you. So there's no God. Or the second thing is, okay, 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 okay. All right, all right. You believe in God, fine. Go ahead and believe in God. But God's not good. He's not good. Look at how crummy your life is. If God was good, you would not have such a crummy life. Okay, I'll accept that he's real, but he's definitely not good. And then the third thing is, okay, you believe that God is real? You believe that God is good? That's great, but uh, he's not powerful. He can't really help you. He's not really able. See, this world's mine, not his. To the degree that you believe those three lives is to the degree that the devil will have victory in your life. If you reject all of those 100% totally, you know what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to swell inside your soul so powerfully that people will begin to look at you and go, man, what's up with you? There's like power emanating from you. There's like wisdom even in your side comments. You know what I'm saying? Point number one. Take back the table. I remember um, when I was talking with one of the leaders from Teen Challenge, they said, hey, you know, I said, does Teen Challenge really work? And he said, we work better than any rehab on the planet. I go, really? He goes, we have an 83% success rate. 83%? I nearly, like, took my hat and threw it on the ground. I don't know why. That's just like a reaction I have sometimes, you know. Uh, and 83%, he goes, yeah. I go, how can you guys beat, like, passages down in Malibu? 
He's like, I'll tell you exactly why. Because we deal with the soul problem. We deal with the core issue. And what's that? We identify where the enemy has been granted victory in their lives. And we go after that. He said, you'd be amazed. Addictions, drug addiction, sex addiction, food addiction, all these kinds of addictions, they're all rooted in some trauma of the soul. So you go down to Malibu, sure, you stay there for three months, and they don't let you smoke what you want to smoke or, or drink what you want to drink or touch what you want to touch. Sure, you can break the physical habit, but you've done nothing to break the trauma that has caused the physical habit. When I was thinking of that and thinking of this message, I thought, you know what they do at Team Challenge? They kick the enemy out of the, out of the table. They get him out of the chair. And all of a sudden, when it's that person and God, and they begin to heal the traumas and all the things that's going on in here, that's why they have the success rate they have. Because now they're no longer giving the enemy a seat at the table. Number two, when you listen to the enemy, you're listening to a killer. Don't listen to a killer. Sometimes we may wonder if the devil's ideas about life aren't really all that bad. But let me ask you, would anybody here invite Ted Bundy over for dinner and ask his wisdom on life? No. Okay. When you consort or consult with the enemy, you're consorting and consulting with an angelic Ted Bundy. He's a killer. Jesus said he was a murderer when? From the beginning. Don't listen to a killer. He's not helping you. And even if he helps you a little, his ultimate goal is to hurt God. So if he can hurt God by helping you, he'll help you in order to hurt God. But sometimes he'll hurt you in order to hurt God. Don't listen to a killer. John 10.10, Jesus says the thief comes in only to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy knows if he can claim victory over our minds then he has victory over our lives. So reflect a little bit. What areas here are you not so sure you're following God's wisdom? I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was the dean at one of the camps. I was like, like, the, like the rule enforcer, which I was never very good because I never really know rules. But, but one time, this is a little gross, so we're all adults here. Can we admit that we're all adults here? One time, one of the kids, one of the boys that I brought thought it would be funny if he went number two in the toilet and he snuck in an M80 and instead of flushing the toilet, he put the M80 in the toilet and exploded the toilet and all of his number two all over the bathroom. I walked into the bathroom with the other dean. The other dean was from... Uh, Colombia. He spoke Spanish. We walked in. He goes, Oh, Dio mio. Hagio <laughs> Maria. You know, he's just, he's just like, he, it, it was an awesome sight. I, I don't think we realized later somebody who was good with science told us about the pressures and the explosion and how toilets actually have a lot of back pressure. So if you disequalize that pressure, it explodes everything. Out. It was this horrible massacre of a bathroom. We stood there in awe. 
And I remember the, the camp director looked at me and said, what are we going to do about this? And I thought in my mind, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I was so upset. So we find the kid who did it. The kid had embarrassed the church. The kid had embarrassed Foursquare because we were renting the camp. But let's face it. What was I really thinking? The kid had embarrassed me, right? I was his. I brought this wonderful kid who exploded his feces all over this bathroom. So I am hot, you know. And they, I mean, I got youth leaders coming around. Can we pray for you? We can see you're really upset. I'm like, just get out of my way. I can handle this, you know. This was during the, remember about 15 years ago, it was the WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? One of the female leaders come up. Now, Tom, you just need to think at this moment, what would Jesus do? I'm thinking to myself, that's the last thing on my mind right now, sister. <laughs> I don't want Jesus's method. I want the devil's method right now, you know. So they got the boys in this room, and I'm walking over, and I'm heated, and I'm hot. And it was the camp director who finally noticed this, and he said, hey, you know what, can I go in there with you, and how about you let me take the lead? Okay. He's the director. And, you know, he was able to handle it in such a godly fashion that the kids cleaned up the bathroom. They replaced the toilet. Uh, they, they were on, like, scrub duty. They all came and apologized, you know. In fact, I remember years later, the kid came up to me. He's like, you know, I, I know it was bad I did that, but you got to admit, that looked really cool, didn't it? Five years removed, I could say, yeah, you know, I get it. I guess if I was a squirrely kid, that would have been a great victory in my life. But, you know, I was still, like, ready to argue my point. But I let it go. And you know what? I'm so glad because had I not followed that camp director, I would have been listening to a killer. And who knows what kind of identity, dreams I could have killed that day when I went in and gave that kid a piece of my mind. Number three. Learn what is the voice of God and learn what isn't. The key to winning the battle is understanding what voice is coming at you. Now, granted, our own voice, we are very capable of getting ourselves in trouble. We are very capable of gossip. We are very capable of slander. We are very capable of talking about people behind their back or whatever. You know, we are very capable of all that stuff. What I'm trying to say is we have help. We oftentimes have help, even though we don't see it. And the key to overcoming the enemy turning a small snowball, snowball of rage into a big snowball of rage is learning what is the voice of God and what isn't. If you are struggling with fear... Rage, lust, insecurity, anxiety, despair, depression, temptation, or defeat. I can't tell you where all those came from, but I can tell you who they didn't come from. They didn't come from God. This is what comes from God. A pure love. A deeper joy. An enduring peace. A more accepting patience, more goodness, faithfulness, gentleness in your personality. And when it comes to relating to other people, more self-control.
over the last few months, I had, I won't disclose it, but I had some negative things happen. And I would not be honest with you if I didn't say there was a part of me. I was a little mad at God over it. And then something, I don't know, something, like a light bulb went off. You know, I'm not going to find my joy in the things I try to control. My deeper joy is going to be in just handing all that stuff over to God. Maybe they'll like me, maybe they won't. But thank God he stuck with me. And so that has provided a deeper joy. I remember once, a few churches ago when I was a young pastor, we were meeting with a lady. Because this lady was nice. She didn't mean, in my opinion, I don't think she meant harm. But she was the church commenter. You know, uh, oh, you know, she does that. It wasn't like, gossip really it just she was the commenter you know and and so there are we wanted she was she was a great woman and and we wanted her to help the church more but she was eroding her credibility because people didn't want to work with her so the pastor brings her in and he's like hey i want you to come into this meeting with me i uh because our secretary who was a woman who usually met with females with him was gone and he didn't meet with women alone so i had to come in and sit and listen And I remember she's like, you know, I'm not gossiping. I'm just commenting. And I remember he said, yes, but your comments hurt others. Gossip or not, your comments are hurting others. I would like you to stop commenting. God is not asking you to be, and that's where I learned that phrase, the church commentator. You know, just love us. Just love us. Yes, sometimes I mumble some of my words in my sermons. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. To my dying breath, I may struggle with it. Can you stop commenting on it? And she, her eyes get really big because he did mumble some of his words. You know, her eyes got really big. And she's like, <laughs> well, I'll just stop the story there. But <laughs> I won't say what he said about me. But, you know, but I mean, you know, she finally got the point. You know, okay, you know what? Even if my words are unintentional, they can still be used by the enemy to hurt others. And so, you know, learn to hear what is the voice of God and what isn't. You always think about this. You know the story of David and Goliath? Here's the interesting thing about the story of David and Goliath. I have always thought that David was appointed to beat Goliath. But you know what? I kind of wonder about that now. Because I think anybody who would have stood up and said, I am no longer going to listen to the voice of that giant, and I am listening to the giant voice of God in me, and I am going to go, and I am going to beat that guy. I don't think it necessarily had to be David. The reason why we remember David is because he's the only one who had kicked the enemy out of the table and was listening solely to God. Finally, number four, what is God preparing for you? in 2022 we know some general things in psalm 23 god is preparing a table for us to sit down and talk unfortunately at that table enemies are all around god is preparing a room for you in john chapter 14 god is preparing a room in heaven in psalm 144 god is preparing hands for battle 
In Revelation 19, he's preparing a dinner. But what is he preparing for you this year? I can tell you some things. He wants to purify your love even more. He wants to allow his joy to go deeper in your heart. He wants his peace to endure longer than a few hours. He wants you to be, have a more accepting patience, more goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and more self-control. And it all begins by being healed by a nine-word text. Don't give the enemy a seat at the table. Amen? Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Worship team, come on forward. I'd like you to think right now, what are some areas that have been not necessarily surrendered over, but where you're just listening to a voice God doesn't want you to listen to? Oh, the enemy's good. It may sound like your voice. It could sound like the voice of your parents or a boss. It could sound like the voice of your children. The enemy can speak through your kids sometimes. Sometimes your parents. Wherever it is right now, just imagine yourself kicking the enemy off the table. Tell him you're not welcome. You're not welcome. Because he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. He anoints us and our cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.